In this episode, Matthew Thomas and I talk about the phrase, the works of the law, and we discuss how Christians primarily in the second century understood the phrase. It's a really interesting question, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Matt. And that's your name, and I know it. And we're not starting the second time because I said your last name is your first name. <laughs> uh, you're in California right now. Are, 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 is it a sunny California day? Or what's it like there? It is a sunny California day. I have the blinds closed currently because otherwise I would be sweating profusely. So, yes, it is a very right. sunny day. Do, do you have central day. air? Uh, we don't. No, it's a pretty small house. It's an older house. So I have like a fan on behind me. Uh, so yeah, kind of a little, little old fashioned as far as that goes. Man. Yeah. I think California without a central air can at least some days be really hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, you know, Southern California, you know, those, those parts and you know, down, down there, you're probably not going to get very far without central air, but in Northern California, oh, okay. it's, it's a little different. You can, you can kind of get away with these things a, right. know, a, bit, a bit more, a bit more easily. Yeah. Like where I am at, uh, it's interesting. So it, you would imagine that it wouldn't get that hot, but it can get like with humidity, it probably feels like close to a hundred sometimes. Yeah. Like where I yeah. live depending on your Toronto. So yeah, yeah, there's some days where like we don't have it. So we have like units in the house, like a window and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Kind of keep it livable or else we'd be just sweating profusely the whole day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. My, my wife, who's also Canadian, loves it down here just because you just don't get any kind of humidity, anything like yeah. that. So it's, it's pretty glorious. Yeah. I'm a little bit jealous. Having lived in California for a while, I do enjoy that aspect of it. Um, I hear that you're really into the politics as well. Me? (laughs) You know, I, I keep up. American politics are important because as Canadian, like we're so interrelated. Yeah. But I, I kind of attempt like to be dumb about American politics if I can. Like, Like in other words, not to know all the details of various cases and FBI things and just be like, Oh, I don't know about that. It prevents me from having the need to have an opinion, which is huge. Yeah. Ignorance is yeah. bliss in this case. Yeah. That works pretty well where I'm from as well. It's a pretty good way to go. <laughs> um, but we'll see. I mean, it is interesting. It is a big deal because we're huge trading partners. And this fall, there's going to be a, a switch over. Hmm. So, or there'll be a, a vote anyways, right? So Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know uh, if that was a prediction or what that was. No, I don't know what that was. I don't, don't, don't read into anything. <laughs> I'm Canadian. I know nothing. Um... <laughs> With that said, I, so I want to say I'm happy to have you to talk to you. I read your book. It must have been, I, I know that I wrote a review on it in February, but I don't remember when I read it. It must have been like January and February of this year, which is weird because that seems like four years ago, given the way 2020 has been. Oh, yeah. Uh, I loved it. Uh, and I loved it for a number of reasons. One, I, I love reading the Church Fathers and the later kind of uh, early writers um this morning i was reading irenaeus book three um just because it's well i'm teaching a class as well but also because it's i've been reading through it book book three is incredible i I, my patristus class this this past semester i i assigned all all of book three for it because book three is unbelievable it's just it's in a different it's in a different planet yeah i mean there's a lot of things i've never um i'm reading it through very slowly like uh with the source christian kind of series Um, oh awesome and like I never, and I'm not sure this is right. Like this is my like kind of fresh observations yesterday and today, but like one of the things that Irenaeus is saying is that the word, the word of God verbum uh, always dwelled with humanity. And this is super important. He created uh, through the, you know, he created humanity or the father created through the word and he always dwelt with them so that he could recapitulate, sum up humanity. 
Mm-hmm. And that pre-dwelling is so important. It has to be that one single subject. Uh, whereas his you know, various Gnostic group opponents want to divide the subjects into two or many, which is Christ yeah. and Jesus or whatever. Yeah. And uh, well, one, it's interesting because it actually gives you a sort of like reason why the word would pre-dwell always with us. Hmm. It's, a, it's important for salvation because he has to sum up that whole history in himself. He calls it the long history that is yeah. summed up. Just, just yeah. a, now, I don't know if this is right or true because this is my like fresh readings, right? <laughs> No, totally. Um, but it seems right in my own eyes, which is always important, right? <laughs> yeah, I think biblically, that's what you want to be. That's, the, that's where you want to go. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that's great with Irenaeus is uh, when, when, you, when you have a chance to go through all of Irenaeus' writings, and then you get to later writers like Athanasius, I mean, you see just how, how traditional Athanasius is in that there's mm-hmm. very little that Athanasius says that you're not already going to go and find in Irenaeus. So it's not like Athanasius is coming up with new stuff. You, you know, when he's writing against Arius, he's just a Christian. He's just yeah. giving you Christianity, so. No, I think you're right. So Irenaeus to me is, is, he's my favorite early, like, I guess, second century writer. I mean, Tertullian, I guess a little bit later, but he is fun. But yeah. I don't find him like, like, I don't want to just read Tertullian, really. <laughs> like, it's not like, yeah. not my thrill. <laughs> Origen, of course, is, I have to genuflect when I say his name. Well, not Origen, technically, it's Gregory of Nyssa. Yeah. Uh, I like Origen, but I like him because of Gregory of Nyssa. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I like no, both, but that's great. So you're not you're not like Cyprian, where he would have it would, he would have the line where he would say, "Give me the master," and they would hand him Tertullian. You you're not you're not doing this the Cyprian thing. <laughs> man, I am not like against Tertullian. I just yeah. don't find him. In, it's it's not like I'm like man. Today I really want to read through the the writings of Tertullian, and yeah. I don't know why that's true. It, it is. I think he's a, in, just totally fascinating. Uh, I think he's probably the, is he the first person that used the kind of the word like triad for God? Kind of interesting. Yeah, I think that you, get, you find like trias, I think, in, in, his, in his writings. Yeah. Um, I find his sort of, um, not mysticism, but his, um, what's it called again? What is the, the movement that he was uh, a part of? The, the like, Montanism? The Mon- I find that really interesting. I'm, I'm not really anti-Montanist. I know some people are. I'm not. Okay. I think it's interesting. Yeah. I think it's, it's so in my view, it's sort of I'm going like, to tell your boss that, by the way. My boss, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, I think there are, might be some serious uh, issues with it, but I mean, I'm not against it in terms of like, it's not, I don't think it's necessarily heresy. I think it's just odd. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think some of it is, is way too far. And I, th- I don't know that he gets as far, but some of it's like, um, I think Montanus himself thought that he was like the paraclete or something. That yeah. stuff's wild. I'm, I'm more talking about Origen's interpretation, or Tertullian's view of things that I find interesting, not necessarily the actual historical Montanism, which I don't know about, to be honest. Yeah. I just know that it exists. Yeah. Well, if you haven't had a chance to go through, and I think because there's long, most people haven't, uh, Tertullian's five books against Marcion. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes when I think to myself, hey, what, what do I wish that Christians, you know, from the early church, you know, if, if you could sit them down and say, hey, you have to go and read all of this and you have to let this sort of like, you know, inform, you know, your theology and, you know, everything, everything like that. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, Irenaeus is against, against heresies is, is one of those that absolutely come, comes up. But the other one that really, really comes up is these five books against Marcion. I just think that, that, you know, Marcion is such a, is such a perennial temp- temptation. And I don't, I don't, I just don't think that there's anybody who does a better job against Marcion. Than, than Tertullian, and I, I find the writing to be genuinely edifying. Um, you know, it's, it's polemical, of course, but it's, it's polemical in just a hilarious way. 
I mean, he's uh, re reading Tertullian can sometimes be a bit like right, uh, reading Chesterton with his, uh, his, his use of kind of satire and wit and things like that. So if you've never had a chance that the five books against, against Marcion are, they're, they're tremendous. Um, I, no, I have read those actually. Um, I think, well, no, I've, I've read it. I'm, I'm trying to remember if I've read all of it. I think I probably have. Okay. Um, yeah. it, it goes, it goes for a while. So yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a commitment. Yeah. I have to double check if I read it all. I, I know that I have read it, but I can't, I'm just trying to wreck my mind. Have I, have I finished it? I don't know. So yeah. that's, I mean, I, I do, yeah, I'll, I'll get into it. I have no, it's not that I don't like him. It's just for whatever reason, I'm not drawn to read his works just for fun yeah. on an evening yeah. or something, but I probably should be. <laughs> um, so Irenaeus is though much more interesting at this point in my life. So, yeah. however, all that's really interesting stuff. And then we can keep talking about it. because It <laughs> does overlap with the topic of your book that you, uh, you published with more Zebek, but you're also, you're also publishing with IV, IVP press, right? this yeah what, yeah the, so it's coming it out? out uh i think it comes out in october so it'll be just okay. a couple months from now so it's coming okay. out in a new edition so october 2020 yeah. and um so it's an interesting book so you're basically trying to ask the question what how do the second century church fathers understand paul's use of the phrase the works of the law hmm. how are they receiving that and so um I want to ask a question. Sometimes people ask a question like, what led you to this project? I think that's an interesting question perhaps, but yeah. I think it's almost more interesting afterwards now that you know every more anyways. Yeah. Why do you think like, why are works of the law in Paul and then in particular in its reception in the second century, such an interesting topic? Like after having yeah. done all the study and thought about it, what makes it really compelling to you now? Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I, I think if you're, you know, if you're reading through, um, Paul's epistles, and I think particularly you know, when you're going through Romans and Galatians, I think in Romans 3 and Galatians 2, you kind of get these climactic moments where, you know, he's going, you know, Paul talks about being justified by, by faith apart from works of the law. And I think because those passages, you know, because they're, they're, they're such powerful passages that, that, that are there, um you it's hard it's hard to not focus on them it's hard to not go and you know read the rest of what paul is saying at least in those you know epistles uh, in some way you know through through what's what's there and so that naturally goes and you know brings to the question you know what what is what exactly does does this mean you know what is he what does he mean by faith what does he mean by justification what does he mean by works of the lines and you know within modern scholarship you know all three of those those terms are, are disputed. For me, what, what I found is that it was really on works of the law when I was looking at it. It was that particular question that I found there to be the greatest divergence when, is, when looking at you know, modern, modern interpreters or you know, in the you know, Reformation period. That was, that was the question that just seemed to, it just seemed to be all over the place. When I, when I look at what, what faith was, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't, it, they weren't on different, different planets as far as, you know, what they under, understood by that. Some people want to emphasize, you know, there's, there's, it's more of a passive thing. Other want to go, you know, others want to go and emphasize more. There's an active side to it. So, uh, you know, kind of, you know, the, the obedience of faith to use, you know, Paul's phrase from, from Romans. Um, but in general, there's, there's not a huge, huge divergence there. And I think, 
you know, even those who are most on the active side want to say in some sense that faith is a gift. And even those on the most passive side want to go and say that, you know, faith is in, in some way, you know, a response of fidelity, a response of, you know, of, of faithfulness. Um, when it comes to justification, again, you can find kind of stuff all, all over the place there. But it, at least to me, in, you know, my, in, in my, my reading, it didn't seem as though the sides and, you know, in modern debates were, you know, that, that, that far apart. When it came to works of the law, it just, it just seemed like the, it was, you know, it, it's almost like you had Paul uh, in a completely different story, depending on what works of the law were, what that, what that meant. And so because of that, I remember, you know, when I first, when I first started really getting into this topic, just as a student, I remember reading um, Tom Wright's justification book and then John, John Piper's uh, The Future of Justification. And it was really interesting how I thought within, within the narrative framework that they sent, that they set Paul, mm. that the there was a there's a kind of logic by which their interpretation made sense and was compelling like, oh, i can see it that way i can see it that way and then i go to the other i'm like oh i can see it that way too and the difference was the whole the whole narrative as far as what's the actual story that's going on what's the thing that paul is reacting against and what's he trying to set you know faith in christ um what's what's he, what's he, what's the context in which he's doing this and trying to say faith in christ is this and is not this what's the actual story there uh, those seem to be governed more, more than anything else by, by works of the law and what, you know, what, what Paul meant, meant by. And so for me, that just brought the question, like, I just, you know, I want to know, and hopefully, you know, if, if I can go and understand this and, you know, when I can understand this, you know, for myself better. And then, uh, I mean, at that point I wasn't thinking, Hey, I'm going to make some kind of scholarly contribution. It's just, I just want to, I just want to know what Paul's talking about. And so, uh, and so then that went, that went into, you know, looking into, you know, his early, early readers and trying to say, Hey, what is the, I mean, what is the, what is the, you know, the earliest perception of Paul seem to, you know, seem to say or suggest in this issue. And, you know, hopefully seeing this as something that can uh, kind of bridge divides and, you know, give, give common ground between people with different, different perspectives. Yeah, I think that's helpful. So it's like, so the one thing I want to come back to is uh, works of the law are sort of like the context in which you can understand justification or at least error at context, which helps to clarify its meaning. Because mm. you made an interesting observation. It's like there's different, there's different stories being told depending on what this means. Mm. So I think maybe this is too like simplistic, but if works of the law are things like circumcision, Sabbath, and so on, Paul in this story would be very specific on, hey, don't perform those, Jew those old covenant Jewish rituals instead you need to do new rituals hmm. that's one side another side and this is again really simplistic obviously yeah Paul could be saying don't attempt to achieve self-reliance and self-salvation by means of doing works that maybe would include sabbath keeping but really are abstracted to mean anything by that you could rely upon yeah and that's a different way of reading it right because one is more one is seems more Jewish, more historical in terms of the actual references. Hmm. And the other one seems a little bit more metaphysical hmm. or less historically specific or more dogmatic in terms of what it's talking about. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's important because you, you kind of hear, like if you hear someone really invested in history, they'll often specify the things that you're talking about. I think circumcision, uh, Sabbath laws, dietary laws, whatever else. And then someone who's more invested in dogmatic theology in terms of the history of theology, 
might talk more of these metaphysical categories like imputation and so on like that. Yeah. So um, yeah. at least for me, that's one way that I conceptualize of it. Now that might be like way overly simplistic and everyone's mad at me for saying that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not mad currently, but <laughs> I, know, I think, I think that's good. And one, I mean, one of the things that, you know, I found in, you know, in looking at the early sources um, because I mean, yeah, I mean, as, as, as you've alluded to, when, when you look at these early sources, uh, which is what, I, what I've tried to do, you often, you know, find them focusing on the kinds of things that you identify with a new perspective. And so, um, you know, Sabbath food laws, dietary regulations, and the kinds of things that relate to becoming part of the Jewish nation and covenant. And it is often, you know, that kind of logic where it's like, well, why would you do that? Well, because you know, there's a, you know, Christ has given a new ordinance within the new, within the new covenant, you know, he's instituted now baptism in place of, you know, in place of circumcision, um, because, you know, because he's the Messiah, because he's the, he's the prophet like Moses. So you do, you do, you do have, have that. One of the things that, you know, I, I just found is really interesting in going through this project is the way that you, it's not simply, it's not simply salvation historical, and it's not simply, this kind of sociological thing where it's like, you know, now Jews and Gentiles need, need, need to be together. But the, the kinds of things that you're talking about with, you know, uh, the, the other side, so the more dogmatic side or, you know, uh, however you want to go and, you know, conceptualize that, um, the, you know, with, which is often, uh, you know, kind of designated as like, hey, this is, these are the old perspective concerns. That, that kind of uh, sort of anthropological reasoning as far as, you know, why, what's wrong with works of the law? What's the problem with works of the law? That you, you find that as well within the early sources. It's not always stated in the same kinds of ways that you're going to find in traditional, you know, old perspective sources, but the, you, you do absolutely find it in that, um, you know, that from the standpoint of the early church fathers, you know, the, you know, the, observing the Mosaic law didn't actually go and make anybody righteous. It didn't actually go and heal, you know, the, the, the underlying condition that you find, you know, humanity. And so if you think of, you know, pastors like, you know, like, like Romans seven, something like that, um, it didn't, it just, it didn't, it didn't go and fix that. Hey, you know, the, the Torah bore witness to this, but it wasn't able to actually go and give, give the medicine. It wasn't actually able to give the remedy and, and, within Christ's new covenant, this, this remedy is given. Humanity is actually, you know, humanity's condition is, 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 is fixed and is restored. And uh, man, boy, if that isn't good news, that's not, if, if there's not, there's not something that's really powerful, I think from just the standpoint of, you know, just the gospel itself there, man, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think, I think I, I, I love reading the, you know, the early sources on this. I think it's, uh, it's, it's really yeah. encouraging stuff. And sometimes it's quite refreshing because, um, uh, you quote uh, C.S. Lewis, and I can't remember the language that he uses, but like sometimes we think, like we read the New Testament and we're living in the 21st century, and we think we understand this, it's obvious, it's straightforward, because they're us. And then we read someone like Irenaeus or Origen, and we're like, they're so weird. Like they're this odd people. But then my kind of follow-up question is like, they're, they're within living memory of the apostles or the disciples of the apostles, but probably more accurately. And uh, they are also in a Greek-speaking world that like the New Testament was in. Um, what if we're the weird ones? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what if they're reading? Not that, not that they're always right, and that's not my point at all. But what if they're able to receive what the New Testament says in ways that are um, closer to the kind of cultural context that, that they were in, and they actually make sense of it better than we do? Yeah. And what we think is obvious is sometimes a little bit like us just reading our own, our own propriety, I guess, into the text. And I think... Yeah. 
I have, that might I have be the, one reason why. Oh, you go on, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I have, I have the quote okay. right, right here. So this is from C.S. Lewis, uh, so from, from Fern Seed and Elephants, which is largely writing against, you know, Rudolf Bolton and just saying like, hey, this kind of modern theology is crazy. So, um, and, and for me, Lewis is, you know, yeah, has, has been a huge, huge influence. And so this, as far as the impetus for the project and kind of, you know, what, what's inspired it to go in this direction, the kind of stuff he's saying, saying here is, you know, same for me as well. So the idea that any man or writer should be opaque to those who lived in the same culture, spoke the same language, shared the same habitual imagery and unconscious assumptions, and yet be transparent to those who have none of these advantages is, in my opinion, preposterous. There is an a priori improbability in it, which almost no argument and no evidence could counterbalance. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I think sometimes uh, we have, you know, Lewis elsewhere calls it chronological snobbery or yeah. similar thing anyways. And it's, yeah, we live in the 21st century and we think uh, everything is so transparent to us. But then you read a guy, again, like Irenaeus origin or whatever, and it must be opaque or like murky to them or whatever. They can't see it rightly because they, they're, they're all into Greek philosophy. They obviously have no idea what's going on, but not us. <laughs> <laughs> having been unaffected by philosophy and social mores and yeah, yeah. So, no philosophy <laughs> again just to reiterate that doesn't mean that Irenaeus is right or origins right or anything it, they can still be easily wrong like any human being is but i think there's they have insight to offer so this is kind of answering the question of when you're when you're trying to figure out what paul is saying by works of the law one way to do that is to look at the earliest christian writers some I even think you have the Didache in here, right? Which hypothetically could be from the first century. So they're, yeah. they're within either living memory of the apostles or in sometimes uh, in the case of like Clement, possibly overlapping at least a little bit with like the last apostles or disciples in terms yeah, of lifespan. Yeah. And so there's a real sense in which these are not just like later church fathers. There are those who are birthed in the churches founded by the apostles. Yeah. I think Ignatius is in here. and He's like, he pastored Paul's sending church you know, yeah. in a evangelical language. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. No, you're, 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 to you're totally right. And so that's part of, you know, with this, um, you know, the, 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 the methodology for, for this book, um, you know, as, you know, not just historical theology, but as, as material that's relevant to New Testament studies um, is, is best presented in Marcus Bachmiel's work, who's, he's the, he's the chair over in, in scripture at Oxford right now. And he's, I mean, he's fantastic. does amazing stuff. Um, his, his book, Seeing the Word, he goes and he lays, lays this out. Um, and you'll find it in, he's got some studies on, on Simon Peter, uh, which are just, just tremendous, tremendous work. And he does a really good job of saying, if you look within, you know, the 150 years or so, you know, and, and people will, you know, when it comes to living memory, people will argue about like, well, I think it, I think it just extends to hundred years. Well, I think it extends to 200 years. Well, I think, and, and those are kinds of conversations where I, I, I think, you know, the way that, you know, Marcus goes and says, you know, if you're lining up generations, something like 150, you know, makes the most sense as far as the way that interpretation is colored by actual memories of the people in the events and not simply reading the text in kind of an isolated, you know, way that's disconnected from, from that memory and his history. Um, he just does a fantastic job of laying out of how this kind of material can be really valuable for, you know, for, for, for New Testament studies. And so he does this with his, his study on Simon Peter and you know, the, the, the picture that you get at, at the end is just incredible. And the, the historical richness that's, that's there and how, when you've looked at the, you know, the, the early reception historical material, and then go back to the New Testament. It's like, wow, this makes 
sense of this, this makes sense of this over here. And this, you know, that piece that like you had kind of skimmed over, just jump, it jumps off the page. I think for me, that was a big inspiration. This thing, you know, how can we not just say, well, I think this church father got this right, or I like this, I like this church father. Um, and it kind of a, you know, historical theology thing, which I mean, historical theology is, is valuable. I think is, is, is hugely important, but this is, this is doing something that I think is, you know, directly relevant to New Testament studies in that it, it's looking at the period right after Paul say, these are people who weren't just reading these texts in a way that was isolated from the memory of what actually happened there. And so because of that, I think there's a, a distinct, there's a distinct vantage point that they have that is, I think, uniquely valuable for us to go and to take, take advantage of, which is, I mean, it's interesting because if you look at the early fathers, I mean, the, you know, the beginning of, of, of point three or, or part three in the book, you know, Irenaeus just basically says as much as like, yeah, if there's some sort of question that, you know, there's some kind of dispute as far as what the apostles are talking about, like we're talking about, like, what, like, what would you do? Like, well, you just go to the churches that, you know, have held conversation with them from the beginning because they can go and tell you. It's like they, they, they remember this stuff. They know this. They know these things. Yeah, I think even to make it really concrete, in like the 90s in Turkey or Asia Minor, you have, so it is, this is a little bit disputed exactly the names, but it's John the Disciple, John the Apostle, two daughters of um, Philip, prophetic prophetesses, a guy named Aristion, and probably others who were active in sharing the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the fourfold gospel eventually was kind of produced, probably connected to all this. I don't know exactly the details. And then you have people who were trained through conversing with the disciples of the Lord. Someone like, to get to Irenaeus, who you mentioned, like a guy like Polycarp. So he's in Smyrna, which Jesus spoke to in Revelation 2 or 3. I can't remember which is the Smyrna chapter. And um, you have a guy like, uh, so Polycarp, who was able to talk with John, get details from him, think through things together. And then Irenaeus, who has a youth, hangs out in Smyrna, apparently, and talks to Polycarp. And so the, in his book, Against Heresies, he seems to summarize the things that Polycarp said. And Polycarp himself was able to talk to John, all, uh, I don't know if all the time is the right word to say it, but often enough yeah. to get the details. So, I mean, that, that, that's like real living memory. It's not like some abstract, okay, there's, yeah. it's 100 years later. It's like, no, better, like, it's better than anything I've got. <laughs> right. It's better than anything you've got. And, uh, you know, it's funny. We think like, think about this today, another concrete example. So where you are in California, there's a, pa there's a Grace Community Church of John MacArthur. Yeah. The next pastor of that church is going to know what John MacArthur said. Hmm. Right. In the same way, uh, Ignatius of Antioch would know what Paul said. They were from the same sending church, yeah. Antioch, uh, which, which Antioch is that again? I can't remember, but whatever. <laughs> it's yeah. whatever the one that... The one, the one that's there in Syria. Okay, that one. So, yeah, yeah the, the main one. <laughs> um, so uh, it's, it's just interesting to me that then we read these guys and we immediately think, and, and I hear this, they're like, wow, they're, they must have got off course or something. You're like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of hard to yeah. say they got off course. What course yeah. can you get off on? Yeah, well, I think for, you know, for me, the, when, when I was thinking, you know, early on methodologically, I just, I decided, I was like, like, these are the, these are the figures who I trust already when it comes to matters of which texts represent inspired scripture and the, the matter of the preservation of these texts. So going and, you know, faithfully saying, okay, here is Paul's, you know, epistle to the Corinthians, and we're going to go and write this out. We're going to, you know, 
you know, we're going to, we're going to make sure that this is faithfully, you know, preserved and transmitted everything like that. I, I already go and when it comes to those questions like that, I, I already, you know, have, uh, like, that's, that's where I get this from. If I don't have that kind of level of imp implicit trust in them, then I can't have the conversation in the first place. Cause if you can't trust them as far as which texts themselves are the, you know, authentic texts and then the, you know, the, the textual transmission of those texts, um, then you don't have anything to, to talk about at all. And so there's already a measure of, uh, you know, there's also, and, 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 and you take that on faith. Um, like there's not, you know, there's no, there's no, no way around it. And so I think because I, I recognize that myself, it's like, well, to me, it doesn't seem unreasonable then, you know, if you're going to say, uh, you know, what are these texts actually talking about, uh, that you would want to go and hear what they have to say, uh, say about that. Um, and, you know, just recognize the, you know, elsewhere, you know, when it, when it you know, came to other matters. So, you know, in Christology or some, something like that, that that's just what I, what I do already. So if somebody goes and says, uh, you know, uh, well, I think, I think Christ being God was just made up at some, some later date, you know, whatever ha 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 happens to be, I can go back to, you know, to the New Testament, of course, like I say, if you want to look at how this was under, you know, understood by, you know, you know, in the early kind of, the, you know, the first couple of centuries of the church, like something like Irenaeus, who goes and lays all this out for you. Um, you can see that this is, this, this isn't something that's out of, out of thin air. This goes back to, you know, to the apostles themselves. Yeah, it wasn't like Irenaeus was inventing something. It was obvious to him that the word existed from the Father. And at one point, he actually calls him uh, God. But uh, it's, it is really interesting. I think that's a really good point. And I think we suffer from a bit of radical skepticism. So you, you read Ignatius, Clement, you read Irenaeus, Origen, etc. And it's like, can we really trust these guys? And uh, I just don't know why we're so skeptical. I mean, I'm not saying, again, everything I say is correct. I'm just saying... I trust them as I would trust any other uh, Christian who has a life worth trusting. And all of these persons seem to have very strong testimonies, very good uh, and honest lives and have been viewed that way. So I just don't, I don't find that I need to be skeptical. I can yeah. basically trust. It doesn't mean that, you know, they're right and everything and I might have to investigate history a bit more because they might've got some fact wrong or whatever. That's not my point, but I'm saying as I would trust you in a conversation, I trust them in a conversation like that kind of yeah. trust. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you could say the best, you know, the best baseball team in the world is the Toronto Blue Jays. And I might disagree. And, uh, but that's not because I don't trust you. It's because we have a real disagreement, you know? Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, for me, it's, it's one of those things where it's just, that is already implicit. I think for any scholar of the New Testament, even if you look at, you know, your, your kind of most, you know, your most revisionist you know, kind of your, your most skeptical scholar, they, there's still base level assumptions that they have that are faith assumptions where you, you have, you're having faith in the early church to go and to preserve these correct texts, you know, from the apostles themselves and to transmit them faithfully. And you just can't, you can't avoid that. So. Yeah. I mean, there's something to that. I mean, I think in my view, like the, the earliest Christians were able to receive the text because it had a character that, that validified its inspired nature. It had a character and it had an impact that became really obvious. But then the secondary question, I think what you're kind of at least getting up partially is like, who then recognized that and kept yeah. them and re and re not rewrote them in terms of changing them, um, copied them is a better way to put it, copied yeah. them and transmitted them. And when you copy something and send it along, you also give possibly an interpretation with the letter carrier. And so then it gets kind of, there's a, there's a really a unified theology. In fact, Irenaeus is interesting. I think it's in book one or two. 
he talks about how his rule of faith the, that he gives, everybody believes it from, I think from Spain to wherever else. I can't remember all the places, to be honest. I, yeah, I think no, Spain I was the Western one and then it goes East too, but yeah, all over all the world. Places. And it's and to him, it's not like an arguable point. It's like, this is obvious. Yeah. And I suspect, I'm thinking this now, part of that is when those letters were carried, the missionaries went, they also were, they also received the interpretation. Yeah. And it was a pretty stable one. The rule of faith, if you look at Irenaeus' summary, is going to be stable in both Greek and Latin speaking fathers. Hmm. And they're way across geography apart from the internet and yeah. phones. Yeah. And therefore, how does someone in North Africa and someone in Gaul or Asia Minor, Turkey, have the same sum the rule of faith is a summary of what Christianity is. How do they have that same summary? Like in its and by the way, when I say same, I mean it's like it's always Father, Son, Spirit, Church. There might be like some variation in some of the particulars. Yeah. Uh, and then that eventually is, is enshrined in, in, the, in the Nicene Creed. But like, how do they have it? And I think the answer is similar to what you're saying. They, they not only receive the text, but they receive the interpretation of it because it was stable and normal. Everyone kind of knew what it was about roughly. Yeah. Obviously, you know, Irenaeus has no idea what 666 means, but like <laughs> in terms <laughs> of the father created everything, the son came at the fullness of time from the father to redeem everything in himself yeah and the spirit perfects those works to create the church that, that's yeah. what i mean like yeah, there's you, no variation yeah you find that very so little in yeah so so in, in book one of against heresies uh yeah you have, have it laid out and then in as you said in north africa with tertullian's prescription against heretics um which is another i just think it's a, a really really fascinating read uh, you get, I mean, you have basically the same rule of faith laid, you know, laid out there as well. And so, uh, I mean, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. One of the things that's interesting with what you say, as it relates to this particular topic, is with the question of works of the law, it's, it's, it's been said before that, you know, the early church doesn't really, you know, the early, you know there's not a huge focus on, on, on works of the law. So, like, hey, do people forget what the works of the law were? Because there's no, there's no big controversy, you know, over the phrase. There's, you know, people aren't fighting back and forth the way that you, you know, you're going to find in, I don't know, <laughs> the 20th or the 21st century, anything like that. And part of the reason for that is because the reference seems to be so obvious that there's, there's no need to have any kind of big controversy. And so, the if I, if I remember correctly the first kind of clarifying statement that you find as far as what are the works of the law, it comes in origins commentary on, uh, on, on Romans where he says, you know, I think it's, I, remember, I think it's in, it's in, it's in book eight of the commentary. It says, or maybe it's in book six. I can't remember. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's in the book. You'll find, you'll find it there. It says, you know, once you know that when Paul is, you know, talking about works of the law, he's not objecting to, you know, the works of the works of righteous, you know, that, that are there, the works of faith, you know, but it's those in which those who, you know, those works uh, in which like those who boast according to the flesh, you know, put their confidence. So, you know, circumcision, food laws, and Sabbath, it's, these are the things on the basis of which he's saying, you know, nobody can be justified. And so he, he provides like a little kind of clarifier there, but prior, prior to that, there doesn't seem to be any kind of need and even origins. I mean, this comes up, like I said, I think it's in, it's in book eight. So it's not like this is a really, huge pressing thing. It seems as though the, the, the referent for works of the law is, is just obvious to these early figures. And what's interesting is the way that's actually corroborated by, by Paul's own usage of it. Because if you look in Romans and Galatians, he doesn't define the term in either case. He just pulls this phrase out 
and says, you know, so we you know not not justified by, by works of the law without having any kind of context. And this is, if you think in the context of Romans, uh, Paul's never been to Rome. He's never been to the, to the Roman church. And so, you know, he talks about, hey, I've, I've really, really wanted to visit you guys, you know, like you get uh, in, in Romans 1. Uh, he's, he's expressing his desire. He's been prevented all these times. So he hasn't, he hasn't been there before. But still in Romans 3, he goes and he pulls out the phrase works of the law. There's no introduction. There's no definition. It, it just seems to be common coinage. And I think that, that goes and that carries through in the, in the early centuries. So if it is so common, and that makes sense to me, it's reasonable. Um, what, generally speaking, how do the second century and then early third century fathers understand the phrase to the best that you can discern? Yeah, so the, and, and I mean, we say second century, uh, the, this, the whole second century title, so Paul's words to the law in the perspective of second, second century reception, second century reception, uh, that was... That was at the, the request of the publisher of Mortizivit because they wanted to have as specific uh, a title as, as possible, which ended up, it's not actually a book title, it's a paragraph. Um, but uh, it's, it is specific in that it goes and tells what, it, what, it's, what it's about. The, the challenge there is that, you know, I, I think that the Didache and the Epistle of Barnabas are actually, you know, both dated to the first century rather than the second century. Um, I don't think that you can state it absolutely conclusively, but just in weighing the arguments back and forth, I think that those are the more persuasive arguments. And so, um, anyway, just to say, it's not just like, Hey, we're going to start in 100 and then that's where you start the clock. And this is where everything is, you know, I, I try to go back to the earliest, you know, reception of these texts that we, we can go, go and find. Um, I think it's helpful to look at it in terms of both meaning and significance, because I think if you don't, if you don't look at both of those, then you won't, won't really grasp what's, what's, what's happening. So when it comes to the meaning, as far as what's the reference of the works of the law, it's when you're looking at early reception, it, everyone refers this back to the law of Moses particularly. And so if you think of within the, the narrative of the Old Testament, you have, you have the Exodus, then you have you know, the Ten Commandments, you have, the, you, you have the, the, the golden calf incident, and then you have the large body of legislation that goes and comes afterwards. Uh, so everything that is, you know, relates to dietary laws and everything like that, the particular cultic worship, everything that, that's, that, that that's, uh, constitutes the Mosaic law. This is what the early fathers go and refer to. And, and, and among this, you know, the, the practice of this law, it's specifically these, the kinds of things like circumcision, Sabbath, um, food, food laws, um, the you know, observance of the you know, Jewish calendar, things like that. These are the things that consistently come up, sacrifices as well, so the, the sacrificial system. Um, when, when the phrase works of the law is, is, is used, this is within early reception, this is what it's understood to, to refer to. Um, the, when it comes to the question of significance, this is, this is where I think it, it, it you know, becomes really helpful because within, at least for me growing up, when I, you know, when I heard works of the law, I thought like just good works. That was kind of the way that it was, it was you know, presented in that. And so you're, when you're doing this, you're trying to kind of earn your salvation on an individualistic level. It's an individual, you know, kind of, kind of performance where I'm, you know, you're, whether you're trying to, you know, earn the enough brownie points or to earn the stickers on the sticker chart or whatever ha happens to be. And then, you know, God will, you know, accept you once you have enough stickers. Um, they, it's, was, it's really just interesting. It doesn't work anything like that. If you're looking in there, you know, early, early reception, the significance of practicing worse of the law is communal. And so 
what you're doing when you, you practice these works is you are becoming part of the Jewish nation and covenant. You're identifying yourself with the Jewish people because the Jews are the people of God and, and salvation is understood as being tied in with the election of Israel. And so being circumcised, you're not trying to say, hey, how many points do I get for, for, for circumcision? <laughs> when you're circumcised, you are a Jew now. You're part of the Jewish, Jewish nation. And that significance is, like I said, it's just common to all the, all the sources within, within this, this period. And so if you take that and then relate that back to, you know, to, 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 you know, to Paul's writings, you think of, you know, uh, you know, Romans for, you know, for reckon that, you know, one is justified, uh, you know, by faith apart from works of the law. So Romans 3.28 then 3.29, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, he's God of the Gentiles for God is one and goes on, goes on from there. So you can see how seeing that in that early reception, then you fit it back into that context. It just like, oh, that makes sense of it. And it's interesting because if you don't have that sense, um, the argument can be confusing. And I don't, I don't know if you, I, I, my guess is you're probably familiar with this. I don't, I don't, the, the original NIV translation, so, which I think is the 1984 one, when it came to Romans 3, 28, and then 29, it didn't really know what to do with what, what Paul was doing there. Um, like because, it was the or? Exactly, exactly. So you have the, the Greek letter, so it's just an eta. So A, and then it goes on from there, which is your, your Greek word for, for or. And the flow of the argument and the way that I think the, the translators are, were presenting it, it didn't really make sense because it, it, the, the sort of Jew-Gentile context and the, that particular significance of works of the whole lot, I don't think it was really in the minds of the translators. And so they're, they're looking at this, and, what, do you, like, what, do you, what do you do with this? And so what they do is uh, in that, the 84 translation, they take that word out. So you know, we recommend, or sorry, we you know, reckon that, um, you know, that, that one is justified by, by faith apart from works of the law, uh, or is God the God of the Jews only is not God and also the Gentiles. They take the or out and then they put a paragraph break in and begin a new paragraph. <laughs> and then, so it's, you know, recommend that, you know, you know, one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. New paragraph. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Or it's like, hey, it's, Paul just has a, you know, a new thought, a new topic he wants to go and break, break into. And it's really interesting how that in the, the NIV revision, which I, 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 you probably remember. Uh, I think it might be 2011. Yeah, I, that's, that's, a, that's the year that I was, I was thinking. So in the new NIV, they've gone and they've, they've, changed, they've changed it back. They've put the or back in there because oh. I don't know if it's just the translators, that, you know, it, it makes more sense in context as far as what Paul is talking about. Well, like, you know, grammatically, kind of, you kind of need to do that. I mean, the or is, it's, an, it's or, it's not like, there's not a lot of options in Greek. I mean, maybe rather, but like it's. Yeah, you can't just, just pressing the, the delete button on a word that doesn't make sense in the context of the way you're interpreting it. I, I, yeah. yeah. But to me, it doesn't like that's the best option to go, to go with. So they've, they've since gone and, and, and changed it back. And so, the, so they have, you know, they, 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 they account for everything there. And I think that understanding the significance of works of the law helps you to do that. Because otherwise, I do think you're sort of at a loss as far as what is, how does that transition from 328 to 329 work? Like what's, how does, how does right. the logic run? So just briefly, oh, this is the uh, ESV, which kind of has it there. So verse 28 says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, verse 29, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles only? Also, yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify both the circumcised and uncircumcised through faith. 
And then he said, do we, do we get rid of the law? No. So, so what yeah, you're trying to communicate, what, you're, what we're talking about is, look, if Paul says you're justified by faith apart from the works of the law, and then he says, or is God not the God of the Gentiles also? The implication is the works of the law are those by which someone becomes and uh, maintains a Jewish identity. Yeah. Or yeah, else, exactly. why would he say, or is God the God of the Gentiles also? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that, that, that ESV translation is great. I think it does. I think it does the job really well there. The elect standard version. <laughs> um, so, okay, that's helpful. So, I, you know, uh, so in the second century, then, so you have meaning, which are the particular things, baptism, whatever, or um, circumcision, whatever. And then you have significance, what it actually does in the community, and that is to make you identifiable with Jewishness, which really makes a lot of sense in the first and second century when uh, you didn't really have this bifurcation between like philosophy, religion, all these different spheres. It was all just sort of, a, a hmm. continuum yeah and so the unique christian claim in this continuum is what was that it was true <laughs> not yeah. that it was necessarily uh oh there's a religion now there wasn't one before it's no we actually get it right because yeah. in christ so okay that's and and then you're kind of arguing from what you just said that's what that's how people in the second century kind of obviously receive it or is there some tweaking happening no i i mean that it's from the same point of interpretation it's it's pretty remarkable how you know how how consistent everything is i think what is um you know what's 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 interesting on top of that is the you know the logic as far as okay so this is what works of the law are if this is what they signify why is it that they don't justify why is it that they're that they're objected to from a christian standpoint and here you get there's a broad nexus of I think of um, of arguments that are compatible with one another, but they don't they don't map they don't map precisely onto either the the modern you know old or new perspectives or anything like that. And it's one of the interesting one of the really interesting things that and for me where I, I just learned such a great deal in, in, in writing this this study was seeing you know if you're looking at you know the old perspective on policy, you go back to, to Luther and Calvin, or if you you know are looking in the you know the the contemporary new perspective, so people like uh, E.P. Sanders and 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 Jimmy Jimmy Dunn, and um, you know and he right just how different their reasoning is for why they understand Paul to be be, reject, be rejecting these works, and uh, so I, you know having the book, I kind of I lay out the you know the, the the main reasons that you go and you find you find this, um, but it's interesting how you do you know, there's, there's certain new perspective readings that just want to go and give you the kind of the sociological thing where it's, it's just because they're, you know, they're, 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 they're divisive or exclusionary or whatever ha happens to be, you know, uh, you know, Jim, Jimmy, Jimmy Dunn uses the, you know, the language of, you know, ex excluding the other, for example. Um, and it's that, that attitude of exclusivity. That's the main, the main problem. You just don't really, you don't really find, really find that in there. And on the other side, you know, as far as you know, why is it why why is this mosaic law left left behind? The the fact that the fact that the the, the Christ what Christ institutes in the new covenant actually does transform and actually does justify it actually does go and renovate humanity. Um, that you know, which is it feels kind of old perspective in some kinds of ways. It's not, it's not precisely, the, the logic doesn't always work in the same kinds of ways as far as imputation, things like that go. But there is, as far as dealing with, you know, what you find in Paul, the, you know, the, the fact that this isn't just, you know, a, a sep kind of a matter of separation. It's the fact that 
you know, the, the Torah didn't actually fix the problem of humanity, which the, you know, the history of Israel goes and bears out because if the Torah fixed the problem of humanity, then all of the old Testament would just be the story of Israel getting things right, you know, and right and right again. And wow, this is even better. You guys are doing fantastic here. And instead you find the opposite. You have, you know, the, the law is, you know, holy and just and good. Uh, but it's, it's, humanity's sinful flesh and we were you know you, you we remain in the in the Adamic condition it's that transformation by the holy spirit that's necessary to actually go and to be able to live as you know as god in, intended for us to live that's helpful so that's so this interesting conversation so i remember in your review or in my review of your book that's the one area where i, I found everything you said quite helpful and i actually end up agreeing mostly because it's it's like in the, what you did, Romans three, it's pretty obvious there that these are the particular works that demarcate those from Christianity and Ju- Judaism. But it's it's you know in Romans four five you also have God justifying the ungodly you know apart from works. So yeah, I kind of wonder if it's a bit of both end. Meaning, I think a lot of times it is specifying the Jewish works of the law because that was a con- Paul's a Jew. <laughs> I mean, like that's yeah. he's in synagogues. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. And yet there are other times where. Uh, it's also any kind of things that demarcate you outside of Christianity that where you find your total trust and your sustainability. And when you kind of think through like the more like reformed theology, I'm not sure that they necessarily got it wrong when it comes to sort of like the sort of uh, metaphysical reality of sin and how we find our own justification in our good works and self-trust. Yeah. I just think that they're in a different social setting. I mean, the first century, the specific works that were there, that someone who was in a Christian uh, religion among Judaism could perform to find their own self-sufficiency would be Jewish works in particular. But then eventually that transforms because if I'm born in the 21st century, it's not obvious that the works that I'm performing (laughs) are going to be circumcision, uh, uh, Sabbath keeping, all this kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And so I, I, I think that you're, when you, your historical study to me is, it's pretty hard to gainsay if I'm honest. I mean, there's not too much you can, you might disagree on a couple of things, but it's pretty clear that everybody did receive works of the law basically this way. I mean, it's just not, yeah. not really an argument. You can't really fight that. But then what is the secondary conclusion on the basis of that is where I kind of. Yeah. And I, and I get into some of this in the, in the conclusion. And then in the, in the preface of the, of the new edition, I have this as, you know, as well, as far as, um, you know, how does, you know, how, how does, how does all this work? Because it's okay. If this is specifically what, you know, if this is what the focus is, well, does it mean that, you know, one is, you know, one is, you know, justified by, you know, other, other works and, and you're not, you're not finding the early fathers going, you know, say that, uh, you know, it's, you have, uh, I mean, I think, I think consistently, I mean, even, even an interpreter, like, you know, like, like, like origin who, um, you know, you know, Luther and, and, and Calvin can, can, you know, beat up sometimes, or a lot of the time, even, even, you know, even when it comes to his, his commentary on Romans, it's interesting the, you know, the, uh, that, 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 the famous saying that, um, you know, that faith is, is the, you know, the root and that works are the, are the fruit. Um, I, I'm, which, I mean, I, I you know, come, come across growing up. I, I didn't realize that that actually that's that doesn't just go go back to to, to Luther or even to, to Augustine that goes back to Origin that goes back to Origin's commentary on, you know on, on Romans so the idea that you know that you know that that like our, our justification you know we received you know gratuitously uh, is is found throughout throughout the early church fathers as well 
the, the question is, so I guess there's two questions. One is, what is, what is Paul actually talking about in his own context? So what's, you know, what is actually animating these debates on worse of the law? And then second, I think, is the, is the question of, granted that, you know, that salvation is received, is received you know, gr gratuitously, how does, how, how do our works that are empowered by God's grace relate to the final judgment, relate to final justification? And that's, that's one of those things where, I think you know the 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 early the early you know fathers throughout are you know are, are consistent uh, and and I mean it's it's one of the things that when I first started reading through them I would find I found so striking in that uh, you would have these really strong statements of uh, you know justification you know by faith through through grace and these really stated really power, powerfully and then they were right next to these really really stringent statements on justification by works and you're just thinking like. What is like? What is going on here? So if you if you so the the earliest uh, Christian homily we have uh, Second Clement, if you read through the first you know four chapters five chapters of that, uh, you get both of those sides presented really really you know <laughs> I mean at, at, uh, to to use to use an analogy uh, if if anyone has seen uh, Spinal Tap, uh, both dials are turned up to eleven. Um, and so you think, how does this work? And the, the, the term that reconciles them is because they, you know, regard, you know, God's justifying grace as actually transformative. It actually goes and makes you into a new creation so that now you, you can, you know, obey in a way that is, was previously impossible because you have actually been renovated by the Holy Spirit. You have actually been made into, you know, the, a, a temple of, of the Holy Spirit to use Paul's, Paul's language elsewhere. When it comes to when it comes to, to later theological debates, in particular as it relates to, to you know reform theology, it's it's one of those things where I mean for you know for me I'm 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 you know I'm I'm a student and not not a teacher in this in this particular area, but it's it's interesting the way that you find different figures you know work this out in reform theology. And so one of the uh, you know one of the people who I is directly relevant for my project is, is Doug Moo. Um, and it, he's got a really interesting piece in, uh, which I, which you'll find in the, you know, in the, in the book as well. And the, I think it's a fest trip for DA Carson, uh, on justification on, on Galatians, where at the end of it, he looks at the idea of works as just being evidence of faith. And he just says, I just don't think this works. I just like, I, I don't think it works to go and to call this just evidence if we're if we are commanded to produce it and he says i know that this sits in some tension with my own kind of reformed you know background um but i just think this is what the text says i don't think it works to just call us evidence and he does and it's it's fun because you know I've, I've corresponded with Mu over the years and and he and he's just up front it's like yeah this is a tension in my theology and i don't know exactly how to go and work it out and you find i think um you know i within um I, I think kind of throughout the you know history of, of reform theology i think you know how how do our our works that are empowered by god's grace how do they relate to you know our final justification and uh even if you're going you know going back to the 16th century the different reform voices there you're going to find different ones working that out different ways um if it, uh, the one interesting uh, figures uh richard baxter you know the kind of great you know reformed puritan theologian uh he uh he he has his famous you know statement as far as 
needing to go and uh, you know to produce sort of the the peppercorn of works, uh, which is then uh, you know it, it's, it has this huge uh, controversy that goes and comes on saying you know this is this is the hot peppercorn that's going to drag his soul into hell, um, and so th there is I think you know uh, there's there's a, or at least there can be a, a, a tension in the theology there that within the the reform tradition different different theologians work out different ways and even you know different readers of you know of calvin in particular i mean there's different people who i've 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 read on calvin who are just insistent and people who i, I really respect as calvin scholars say there is a real justification according to works in um you know in in, in calvin and so uh looking at uh, for instance i think it's his, his commentary on on ezekiel uh, and just as this is absolutely here as as a, as a category form. So anyway, I I, I say this thing as again as as more of a student than, than a teacher. Right. So feel feel free to put on the on the on the professor no, I, hat. And no, I think that there's there, there's a bit of a rich diversity in the Reformed tradition on justification. And it's it, the 16th century is the Wild West. The Scholastics in the 17th century end up having some pretty precise ways to talk about it. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. A guy named John Davenant, if I remember him, remember his argument correctly on justifications. He's reformed. Um, the guy that the, the, the Davenant Institute is named after? Yeah. Okay. So uh, he'll talk about justification as a, a justific an infused justification, yeah. which is basically imputed righteousness. And then he'll talk about justification as, I think, habit, habitual, hmm. which really in, our, in the modern reform category correlates to sanctification. But if we're just kind of, if, if we're not using the scholastic categories and, and we're just talking more in a more relaxed way, I mean, everyone recognizes that you, uh, God's grace makes you right. And then afterwards mm. you become a good person. Like mm. <laughs> you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You move from one level of glory to another. Mm. Um, you follow in the footsteps of Abraham as James 2 talks about. And you, <laughs> if you can't tweet quote as a reformed person, James 2, 2021, without qualification and there's probably an issue right like you don't have to explain the bible away yeah um you yeah. what you have to do is put it together not not explain it away yeah so i think there is a rich diversity i know baxter has some interesting things even john piper has recently been talking about final justification i don't know those things very well if i'm really honest yeah um, one of the refreshing things about reading people who were born before 1300 which i kind of where i read like yeah. to read is that they don't fight over this issue. And the thing you see consistently is this. There's obviously exceptions, but consistently in the general population, God's grace is primary. It's so primary that God out of philanthropy became human and suffered for us because out of love for us. Yeah. Or yeah, or well, that won't go into that. But uh, that is so primary. So the way that you work out those scholastic distinctions later, which I think are important, I'm not saying they're not important, Hmm. I think have to be built on top of God's grace as primary. And um, in the reformed idiom, we, we used, we talk about election as God's primary moving grace and then good yeah. works follow from that. So I think it's an interesting thing. I don't think is if you're a reformed person, I think you need not be afraid <laughs> of specifying what those reform, what those particular works were in the new Testament. Typically, I think there yeah. are occasions where it is more abstracted, but often I think you're right. I think the second century, second, third, and late first century people to be more accurate, because that's yeah. what your work says, rightly understood the New Testament. Uh, oftentimes, Paul in particular is talking about these Jewish works that demarcate them from Christianity. And it's important not to do those rituals or else you become no longer a Christian. It's, it's a big yeah. deal.
Well, I think that, uh, you don't walk in step with the gospel, Paul says. Yeah, and, and the big thing, I mean, this is the thing that was, for me, was striking in writing this is finding that when, there, when you have arguments that works of the law, the issue is not works of the law. The issue is whether or not Christ is the Messiah, whether or not Christ is actually who he says he is. He is actually the one who goes and brings the new covenant. You find this within early Christian Jewish debates. I think this is particularly explicit in Justin's dialogue with Trifo, which, you know, if there's one patristic source, I, you know, I recommend for somebody to go and to have, have a look at with, you know, in, these, in these areas. I mean, the, the, the dialogue is just an, an incredible, uh, you know, historical resource and just an incredible piece, piece of writing. It's extremely long, uh, but it's really, it's really valuable. Um, and just the amount of biblical theology you get in, 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 the, in, in the dialogue is, is, is incredible. Um, you, you find this as, as clear as day that when it comes to, you know, Justin is, is debating back and forth with, with, with Trifos, uh, this Jewish guy who's come across. And in the course of their discussion, you know, initially they're saying, you know, Trifos saying, why don't you guys go get circumcised? Why don't you go and obey these food laws? Why don't you actually go and do all this stuff that if you really knew God, like you say that you do, and like, oddly, it kind of seems like you do. Why don't you do the things that he's gone and instituted? And he, you know, Justin always says, "No, like we are, we are under a new covenant. We have gone and you know, we we have followed this this Messiah. This new covenant was promised to be for you know for all nations, for all people, not simply the Jews. Therefore, us being Jews would just go and violate the terms of this new covenant. Uh, and and besides that, there's other things that he's gone and instituted. And so we don't need circumcision. We don't need that old sort of shadow." We have the reality of baptism, and you need our circumcision. This is what this is what you stand in need of. And so, you have this back and forth, you know, over and over, over the place of you know, you know, whether you obey, you know, the you know the, the works of uh, you know of, of Moses' law, or whether you obey what Christ has instituted in, in the new covenant. And then they they just basically both agree, like, wait a second. Well, if Christ is the Messiah, then yeah he is, his covenant is going to take precedence over Moses. What he institutes, his ordinances, his laws, his everything, they will go and take, they'll, they'll, they'll take precedence. And so the question actually becomes, is he the Messiah or not? And so they basically stop talking about works of the law. And the question becomes one of, is he the Messiah or not? And you'll find that in, you know, in, in, in Tertullian, his, his, his treatise against the Jews, has the same sort of structure where the first half is talking about works of the law, and then it actually says, this is all dependent on the question of, is he the Messiah? Has he instituted the new covenant? And if you go and you take that and you go back to Galatians, you can see why it is that Paul goes and gets so angry in Galatians. Because you think of the kinds of stuff that he says. I mean, you know, if, um, if, if so, for instance, you know, if on this podcast, if you said, wow, Matt, I really wish that you would castrate yourself, I would either think like, wow, okay, like he, you know, uh, Wyatt slept on the wrong side of the bed last night, or I have done something extremely, extremely, extremely wrong. And even if I don't recognize that I've done something extremely, extremely, extremely wrong, and Wyatt in, you know, in his care for me is trying to go and give, you know, state this in the most extreme way possible. I think that's precisely what is happening in Galatians because in going and, you know, going back to, you know, observing and saying, you know, everybody has to observe the, you know, uh, you know, what the prescriptions of the old covenant prescriptions, the, the Mosaic law, what you're denying is you're denying that the new covenant has come. You're denying that the Messiah is actually here and has instituted 
this new covenant. And so when Paul says you're cut off from Christ, he, he isn't, he's not just exaggerating. He's not just angry. He says, no, like to go and to do this is to say he's not the Messiah. The new covenant, you know, hasn't actually come. And so we need to go and stick with just Moses and what, what he's, he's given us. Um, I, no, I, I think, just, go ahead. I think that's a major part of it. And so I had just, um, a little while ago, it's not out yet, but I, uh, talked with Tom Schreiner on, uh, different Pauline theologies. We kind of talked through this a little bit too. Yeah. He brought up a passage in Galatians that was helpful. I can't remember, but I guess if you're hearing this, listen to the Tom Schreiner episode. Yeah. <laughs> because I think everything you're saying, I have no, like, even as a kind of reformed perspective, I totally can agree with. I just, I don't see it as an either or thing. I think also it could be the case that you can trust in these particular works as the means by what you're right before God. So it's, it's a both end. Um, but I think you're exactly right to bring up these historical specificities, because if you don't, then you are missing the riches of what Paul is actually saying, according to his words, his social yeah. context. And I think, as we noted earlier, these second, third century writers all got that. Like, yeah. this wasn't lost to them. It wasn't like this is a confusing conundrum. Like, they yeah. got it. That's what those references were when they said, when Paul said things like works the law. So I think that's incredibly helpful. Now, as we sort of um, push towards the end here, one thing I do like to ask people is like, what are some really helpful books? And then also to kind of give like a little bit of an annotated bibliography and like why that's helpful. So yeah, I would say the two topics are really like reception history or yeah, I guess reception history is kind of a technical way to say it, but you know what I mean? You can explain that a little bit. And then also yeah. works of the law. So if you could list like, and you can list your book too, by the way, the new IVP one is a reminder <laughs> at the end. <laughs> um uh, and please do maybe end on your book um like can you just name a few that might be helpful if people are really interested to dig deeper into this topic or these topics yeah yeah so um i mean yeah with with with, with my book i mean uh, it's easy for me to be enthusiastic about my book because my book has none of my own ideas in it um so i can be completely unashamedly like wow this is the greatest book because you won't find a single idea of my own there. I've literally just I've gone through yeah. But it is a good I've, book. I really enjoyed it. So Yeah, well, I've, I mean, I've gone through, I've tried to summarize the, the, you know, the old and new perspectives and tried to listen as carefully as I, as I can to the individual voices there. And I've tried to go really, 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 you know, as, as kind of painstakingly as possible through all the early, you know, reception historical evidence, um, which is, again, none of those my, my own ideas. Um, and then in the, in, in the end, in, the, in chapter 12, I basically just go and summarize all of that. But even in summarizing all of that, there's not any of my ideas there either. I'm just, I'm just kind of trying to synthesize all this and say, you know, what, what is this early perspective on works of the law? How does it seem to relate to the old and new perspectives? Um, and, you know, what does this suggest about, about Paul's, Paul's own meaning? And so I've, um, you know, I, I, again, it's really easy to say, wow, what a great book, because I don't have any, you're not going to find any, any of my own thoughts, thoughts there. But for me, I've been, I've been tremendously, you know, helped, helped by these, by these early, early sources. And, you know, as I was, you know, kind of plowing through writing, you know, dissertation and everything, that was just, for me, it was a, a huge motivating factor to get through. I just come across, I'm like, wow, this is, a, I mean, as the, 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 you know, there is there's a painstaking quality to the book and i'm I'm really going through the fine tooth comb but that was so much of what motivated me is like i really think this could help people because this just seems like this is really relevant to the topic and it helps me to understand understand you know paul and his, his con context better so you know I, I hope i hope that'll that'll you know be, be helpful for folks if you are looking 
So when it comes to, you know, historical theology, um, you know, other works, it, so, uh, you know, McGrath's, you know, Justitia Day, of, of course, is, uh, you know, is a really, really good, good one. Um, a new I, edition I, I, this year, right? Yeah, so it's, it's great. So I've had a chance to work with them over the past, oh boy, this is since 2014, I think, 2013, 2014. So I had, I had a chance to, to work with him uh, on, you know, on, on revising a lot, a lot of this, uh, which was just, I mean, a, a joy. Cause I mean, from a standpoint of, you know, what I, you know, what I, what I hope, hope to be able to can, you know, contribute with the kind of work I do. It's, uh, you know, he's, he, he's just a great model for that. And that, you know, he's just a really fair, you know, just strives for, you know, uh, you know, objectivity and, you know, fairness as, as much as possible. And as, as such is kind of like a, you know, he makes a really good referee in the sense that not that he's, you know, himself infallible, but you get people from all kinds of different perspectives going and, you know, and citing his work because they know that he's, he's trying to, he's trying to be fair. He's trying to just state what the sources are saying as, as accurately as possible. So, um, yeah, I think it, particularly the new, the new edition, the new, the new edition, if you haven't had a chance to, to read it, the new edition is killer. I've, I've, uh, as far as, you know, his own scholarly humility, I don't know of a, of a parallel for this, for somebody going and just saying as explicitly like, Hey, my first three editions of this were wrong. And I'm sorry about that. <laughs> and, uh, oh, it does, you know, it's not like verbatim, but he, right. he really, as far as a scholar, I mean, both at the beginning and the end of it, there is a real scholarly mea culpa there and saying, Hey, you need to read the new edition of this because there's major areas where that, this this is just it's just not not to be taken as as, as reliable um so i i think that that's a huge a huge work and i think a hugely hugely important work and again particularly the new ones it's it's really really good um when it comes to specifically the the question you know of of works of the law again so so much of that depends on your own your own perspective and the way that you're looking at it because if you want to say like you know, if I, if I'm giving something to somebody on the street, who's from a really, you know, really Lutheran perspective, a really reformed perspective, or a really you fill, fill in whatever ha happens to be, there's certain things that are going to come across better to them because it's, it, there's a sense which is scratching more where, where, where they're itching. And so there, there's definitely, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, Tom, Tom Schreiner, of course, has done, has done work, you know, work in this area um you know on kind of on the reform side i i I've, i really i really like doug moose stuff i think that I, I appreciate the way that he goes wrestles through these various questions and like i said you know even even though what's the best way to say this even though i don't i don't follow every move that he makes or the way that he goes and puts the puzzle pieces together in every every instance i think that there's a, a scholarly honesty to him like you find in that justification in galatians you know thing where he just says yeah I don't think that the way we're talking about works in relation to final justification actually makes sense. I don't think this is what Paul is saying. I don't really want to do with that, but that's, that's where, where I'm at. And then there's other places. I mean, I, you know, I conclude my book by talking about, you know, the early fathers and how they talk about the law of Christ as, you know, the, the new covenant replacement for the law of Moses and Mu actually in his, in his justification commentary, which is, is less cited, but is, is also really good. When he talks about Galatians 6 to the law of Christ, he gives just a great statement of what that actually is and, and constitutes. Uh, and so he's, you know, he's got, he has really, really valuable stuff. I, I think if, you know, if you're looking for, um, you know, folks who might be able to kind of transcend some of the, you know, the divides that are, that are there, 
um, within, you know, kind of, you know, the kind of contemporary discussions. Uh, I, I think I find John Barclay's work to be really, really helpful. The gift. I think. Yeah. Right. So Paul, Paul, Paul and the gift. Um, well, and the gift is a movie, isn't it? <laughs> or a book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, his, his stuff, I find it really, helpful. I mean, his, I, I have this in the preface of the new book, the way that he goes and talks about, you know, God's grace as um, unconditioned, but not unconditional. I think that that, I find that to be really helpful. I think that that maps really, really well on the way that early patristic soteriology works, you know, also. And just when it comes to individual texts, I just, I think he does a great, a great job as an, as an exegete. I know from the standpoint of kind of bridging the old, the new perspective divides, there's, you know, not everybody has the same view. I know, um, you know, I know, uh, you know, Doug, Doug wrote a really, you know, appreciative, you know, review of his stuff saying, Hey, I think this does get past some of the either or that's there. I know, you know, Tom Schreiner, I think was a little bit less convinced that it actually goes and goes and does that and isn't just kind of restating what, you know, the new perspective says. But it's, Barclay, it's a good book. I mean, it's a historical study on grace, a gift. And yeah. It's and like, it, it's great because it's a historical study. You can read it, understand it, see the sources, see his argument. It's publicly available. And I think it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. No, I've, I've really, I mean, yeah, yeah I, I, I've, I've, I've benefited a lot from, from John. John, John was my external examiner for, okay. the, for, the, for the dissertation. And I, yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was actually his TA at Regent going oh, way cool. back to like 20, 2012 when he came to the summer course. So uh, anyway, so I've, you know, I, I just have a lot of admiration for him and his work. And I think the way he puts stuff together is really helpful. Um, I've, uh, I, you know, David De Silva, I think his, his, his commentary on, uh, on Galatians I think the way that he goes and engages, you know, with, with works of the law, I think is, I, I, I had a friend who went and uh, turned, turned me on to his stuff, which I hadn't come across. And, and I was like, gosh, the way he puts all of these different Pauline, you know, right. ideas together is really good because he's not, you know, he's, he, because he's not sort of an active, you know, sword bearing participant in the, uh, the old and new perspective uh, wars, as far as I know, at least maybe he is. I just haven't seen his sword recently. Uh, the, I, I think he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a helpful voice there. Um, for the one other thing I'll, I'll say is the, the, uh, the, there's the new dictionary of Paul and his letters coming out, uh, with, with IVP. And so, uh, so I've, I've gone for that and I've, I've done the works of the law article, um, which I, you know, I've tried to basically synthesize everything that's, that's here, you know, in this early reception and then say, okay. Because which you know the, the the book goes and gives suggestions at the end like it would seem that Paul means this that and and, and this uh, and does some specifics but I've tried to go with this this article and give you know more specifics as far as you know how does this early reception seem to illumine Paul's meaning specific when it comes to these various various issues and how does this kind of you know correspond with what we what we find in the you know the old and new perspective debates so I. I've, I've spent a lot of time on it and I really hope it'll be a help, helpful, helpful resource. Um, right. So those are just some, some that come, come to mind. Oh man. Well, thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. It was a fun, fun conversation. Uh, I think works of the law are obviously an, an important sort of topic in Paul because they're so key to some of his central arguments about salvation. I really liked your book. It's coming with uh, a, a new edition or an English or a North American edition, at least anyways, it's coming yeah, with IVP so it has, Press. It has, has a new a new preface. It has uh, Alistair did a uh, did a forward for it, and then they have a really cool cover for it. I, okay. The people at IVP, when it comes to cover design, they're unbelievable. It's I I am not worthy to have a book that has. I mean, these are cool kind of covers. yeah. Morse books is pretty like it's it's good, but it's kind of just words. <laughs> yeah, it is. Mo it is mostly words. 
so we'll look forward to reading that uh, October 2020 IVP academic press, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's a great book. I loved it. I think it's just a great historical study of what people in the early church thought when they read Paul and it's expansive. I think it's pretty much everything you can find <laughs> in terms of those centuries. So I recommend it. You should read it. I think it's good for everybody to read. So thank you, Matt. I uh, had a good time talking with you and have a great rest of your day. Awesome. Great. Thanks a lot.